ESPN Daily is presented by YouTube TV. Try it free today at youtube.com slash NBA 23. New users only. Terms apply. Cancel anytime. Brian Windhorst, so what are you up to today? You know, it's uh, college baseball, college World Series in Omaha, Nebraska right now. <laughs> right, of course. And, and LSU is... Double elimination. Sing- LSU is single-handedly raising the GDP of the city. So thanks to all their fans. That's nice. Um, but, you know, beyond college baseball, which I know you love... Um, <laughs> Not really. This is the Brian Windhorst time of the year. This is that spot on the calendar with which you are synonymous because most people with an internet connection or even just with television are aware of what happened this time a year ago when you were on first take and you simultaneously channeled not one, but I would say two great figures of the 16th century. (laughs) The Frenchman, Nostradamus, and William Shakespeare. Why would the Jazz do that? Why would the Jazz, who have two stars on their roster, Mm -hmm. take a player who's one of their starters and best defensive players and trade him in a salary-dumping move? Why would they do that? And Brian, what you suggested, what you implied at the very least, that something had to give, you turned out, like Nostradamus was so often, to be prescient. We have some breaking news, though. The Utah Jazz, they have agreed to trade three-time Defensive Player of the Year. How do you say a big perk? Rudy who? Rudy Gobert. Rudy Gobert to the Minnesota Timberwolves in a blockbuster deal. That will- so now, Brian... Before we get underway discussing 2023 and the NBA free agent season, your crystal ball, uh, <laughs> is it is it up to speed? Is it ready to go? It's doing it the best it can. You know, it, I, it, I felt a little bit better about it a week ago or seven to ten days ago when I was pretty sure that Bradley Beal was going to finally get traded. And you were right. So there's a few things in the league that... Uh, are interesting sort of potential hot spots that are developing that we're watching, but still maybe a little early to really have a great feel of how the June 30th to July 2nd free for all that we're now used to every year is going to unfold. You just don't get a break, do you? <laughs> no, not until the start of training camp in football. After that, they forget our names for about four months. <laughs> <laughs> To meme or not to meme? For Brian Windhorst, that is not the question. Being a meme is a way of life, especially now as NBA free agency looms. When players are moving to new destinations and there are new dynamics to explore. At this time of year, Brian hasn't had a chance to breathe, much less a chance to sleep or perchance to dream. So today, Wendy shares his insights about what's happened around the NBA so far in the offseason. And he'll also tell us where some of the game's biggest stars might be moving to next. I'm Jeremy Schaap. It's Tuesday, June 27th. This is ESPN Daily. Two guys drove to work. Neither guy wore a seatbelt. One guy got a ticket. One guy didn't. 
the same two guys drove home. One guy wore his seatbelt. One guy didn't. One guy made it home. The guy not wearing his seatbelt didn't. Don't risk it. Click it or ticket. Paid for by NHTSA. So, Brian, let's start with some of the moves that have already taken place. You can pack up the crystal ball for a few minutes. <laughs> uh, you mentioned Bradley Beal off the top, going to Phoenix, leaving Washington. How would you describe what this signals? Well, it was actually a really sensible trade once you peel the top layer back, which I think was probably surprising to many NBA fans that the Wizards, you know, got so generally the belief of so little for a player who's been um, one of the best players in their franchise's history. Second all-time leading scorer and had been there for 11 years and had been, you know, rumored so many different times to be on the trade market and never really was close to getting dealt. And the reason is because that his contract was just not easy to trade because he has a no trade clause and that meant he can approve any deal and that made it the window that you had to hit to trade Bradley Beal was narrow and it was exacerbated by the fact that he'd only played 90 games over the previous two years when you look at the Phoenix Suns they had traded so much uh, you know if you consider it like a poker game their chips were all in the middle so you say my gosh how can you put those 10 chips in and have nothing left? And the answer is because I've already got 100 in. And if I've got 100 in, the last 10 don't mean as much. You're pot committed, as the phrase goes. And they saw an opportunity to get a player in Bradley Beal despite that contract, despite what they are now inheriting, which is $200 million on a player who's had injury issues with a no-trade clause. What they had to give away, those proverbial 10 poker chips, Basically, Chris Paul, a player who they were getting ready to, to release, to cut, and pay $15 million this year not to play for them. And um, some second-round draft picks, which they're not nothing, but once you've traded four first-round draft picks for Kevin Durant, the idea of trading six for Bradley Beal feels a little different. And so as a result, you had two partners that really could only do business with each other on this particular transaction. So if after acquiring Kevin Durant last season at the deadline and then failing to capitalize on his presence, not winning at all, to double down, as it were, on a top-heavy, star-laden lineup, what does it say about this new owner in Phoenix and what he wants to achieve? Yeah, I think, again, it goes back to the decision tree. If you're sitting there and you're saying, okay, we've got Kevin Durant, and Devin Booker, and we've traded a whole bunch of stuff and we have very little left over. Should we try to get by on the edges and the margins and try to hit on this incremental signing or that incremental signing or try to make this second round draft pick? Or again, should you just go for it and go for the most talented player you can acquire and then do the incremental signings anyway? Play the game anyway. We're gambling on guys who make low salaries that you're hoping to hit. And that's just the way they looked at it. 
what happens when you make a big trade like Kevin Durant? And the Suns are not the only team facing this. The Cleveland Cavaliers made a similar trade, and the Minnesota Timberwolves made a similar trade for Rudy Gobert and Donovan Mitchell, respectively. And they are so taxed in their future assets that it impacts their second and third level decisions going forward. So once you make the decision to offer up so many draft picks and so much control of your future, it affects the way you make decisions. And so the Suns making the Durant trade set themselves down a path where making the Bradley Beal trade makes strategic sense. It might blow up in their face, Jeremy, but you can understand it from a strategic standpoint. And so that's part of why trading all these assets is, uh, is really a, 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 an organizational decision that has lots of ramifications. And you can't win in the NBA without a superstar, at least one of them. Typically, you can't win in the NBA without two. And when you've got two, you want three. All right, so this Phoenix-Washington deal, Phoenix gets Bradley Beal, who's still in his prime. Washington gets Chris Paul, the peripatetic future Hall of Famer who's now 38, but he's not expected to be in D.C. very long at all. In fact, he's expected to be heading out to Golden State where he would join a group that may or may not include Draymond Green next season. And Washington gets from Golden State, they get Jordan Poole, who just signed this big contract and who averaged 20 points a game but there was the drama between him and the aforementioned Mr. Green. So, so for the Warriors, why do this? There is two reasons why the Warriors did this deal. Number one, because they had a chemistry issue with Jordan Poole and Draymond Green that clearly affected them throughout last season after Draymond punched Jordan Poole in the preseason. You know, Jordan Poole gave an interview at the end of the season to uh, Ramona Shelburne from ESPN where he was very clear that he never really got over it. Draymond, I think, has said things both in interviews and on his podcasts that he's indicated that there was a scar that, that he left in the team by making that decision. There was a ton of slippage due to me sitting back, me not saying anything, me trying to allow that situation to play itself out and giving it mm. time to heal. I'm aware that Jordan struggled a little bit at times this year. Like, I get that. And had I not done that, the relationship we had, I could have been there for him. I could have carried him through that. So they, they, they removed Jordan Poole from the equation. The second thing is Jordan Poole signed, um, I'm not sure what the full guarantee was, but it was something in the neighborhood of $130 million contract last fall and then did not play like a $130 million player. That contract was really standing in the way of the Warriors holding their veterans together. Draymond Green, as you mentioned, is a free agent. Klay Thompson has one year left on his contract. As the Warriors did the math on trying to fit everybody into their books going forward, Jordan Poole's money on there was beginning to be an encumbrance. So by moving Jordan Poole out for Chris Paul, Chris Paul's in the final year of his deal, they are going to clear the overwhelming majority of that $130 million off their books. And in theory, at least, it clears some space on the payroll to re-sign Draymond Green and then Clay Thompson to give him an extension. And with Washington, 
it's not just the Chris Paul, Bradley Beal transaction, but we're also talking about Kristaps Porzingis moving from Washington to Boston, this three-team deal, Boston sending Marcus Smart to Memphis, Tyus Jones going to Washington. When you think about what Marcus Smart has meant to the Celtics and their recent success, it's kind of a stunning deal, right? To see him out of the equation there, to bring in Porzingis, the former Nick, the former Maverick, now the former Wizard. For Boston, what what really drove the thinking here? I think it was actually simpler than it seems, although whenever you trade a player who's been with you for nine years, who's extremely popular like Marcus Smart, it's always going to have um, you know a deeper emotional effect. I think at the end of the day, Boston likes the future of Derek White more than it likes the future for Marcus Smart. It likes the fit of Derek White going forward versus Marcus Smart. Smart did not have the best season in 22-23. He was not as good defensively as he was the year before when he won Defensive Player of the Year. Uh, Derek White in the second half of the season especially was just excellent. And so they had one too many guards. And what was happening was Joe Missoula sort of wanted to play his most talented lineups, and that often included guard-heavy lineups that affected how good they were defensively. Now, Porzingis isn't known as a good defender. Having said that, he is a basket defender. But by basically taking away one of the guards, it better balances the roster. Basically, if I could be blunt, it forces Missoula to play bigger. Mm. And at the end of the day, Jeremy, I think that the Celtics just really, really liked Porzingis. Seven mm. foot three, um, can play uh, pure center, can also play power forward um, and stretch the floor in, depending on the matchups. Um, 23 points, eight rebounds, almost 50% from the field, 39% from three, a block and a half a game. Those are statistics that are only touched by, you know, a few handfuls of players in the, in the league every year. If you're Marcus Smart and you're going into Memphis and you know everything that happened with this team, with John Morant, especially off the court, the suspension obviously is coming up at the beginning of next season. How does he go into that locker room and that situation and change the narrative? Well, I would advise him to embrace it because he's got three years left on his contract. And that is one of the reasons why Memphis paid so much for him. Memphis traded Tyus Jones, who was regarded generally as the best backup point guard in the NBA, would have been a starter on a handful of teams easily last year, and two first-round draft picks. And they paid that because they realized there's, not, there's just not that many players like him. A veteran who's not too old. He's still in his prime. Uh, who has experience and has instantaneous respect. If you look at the backcourt of John Morant and Desmond Bain, you can foresee how Marcus Smart can fit into that backcourt in, you know, serious late-game playoff situations. And I'm sure Marcus, and I know him reasonably well, he is willing to accept challenges. He is not somebody that backs down easily, and so this is a challenge he's got. He's got a to come in and sort of set an example for a team that has shown great promise but has not shown great maturity. One thing about Smart is he's a leader by example and he's a leader with his voice. So I'm sure that will be an opportunity for him. And frankly, the Grizzlies are a championship contender. Maybe not quite as close as Boston was, but 
not too far behind. And this is an opportunity for him to establish a new spot and compete for a championship. His situation really doesn't change that much in terms of where his team now is in the hierarchy. So now that we've reviewed a busy week on the Transaction Wire, Brian, uh, in our next segment, we're going to take a look at what might be coming up. We're going to ask you to pull out that crystal ball. Now let's talk about the play of the week. The pressure to follow up Hypnotic and Cognac weighing heavy on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup, blue, and ready for the play. And boom, Añejo Tequila came in with the smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained, poured. It was green and good. The playmaking splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the Hypnotic team. Every season is hypnotic and tequila season. Hypnotic liqueur, Bardstown, Kentucky. 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. Picture this. You arrive at your hotel. You have an important online meeting lined up with clients from all across the country. You have your laptop open, ready to begin. And the Wi-Fi is so terrible you can't even connect. These type of stressful situations happen all the time, but they don't have to. When you book a room at La Quinta by Wyndham, you have access to their free high-speed Wi-Fi. So you can take care of those critical emails, join your meetings on time, and even unwind by streaming your favorite shows without having to worry. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book direct at LQ.com. So, Brian, we are now less than three days away from the official start of the free agency period. And it feels like the biggest news is going to be about point guards, especially Damian Lillard. Yeah, this uh, free agency will be a story of three point guards, really. James Harden, Kyrie Irving, and Dame Lillard. Harden and Irving being unrestricted free agents and Lillard being under a long-term contract but unsure of his future. And Dame Lillard is the player whose everybody is keeping an eye on. You know, there have been a literally uncountable number of times over the last five to seven years where Lillard has been rumored to finally decide to move out of the Portland situation. And he has repeatedly pledged his loyalty to Portland and repeatedly backed it up by signing contracts. Yet, some circumstances have set up the fact that he may indeed finally this week ask to be moved out of Portland. At the end of the season in April, he made it very clear that he did not want to play with more young players. He wanted the team to prioritize getting veterans that could immediately help him compete for a title this upcoming season. He's 33 years old and he doesn't want to wait anymore. And that stems, Jeremy, from last year. He had surgery at midseason. The team sank to the bottom of the standings. They ended up drafting Shaden Sharp out of the University of Kentucky, who was, I think, the youngest player taken in the first round, if not the youngest in the top two. And Sharp had a promising rookie year, but is clearly not in position to help the Blazers make a championship run. And so when the Blazers finished this season in position to get the fifth pick, Dame openly said at uh, his exit interview in front of the media that he didn't want to play with young players. He wasn't there for a youth movement. 
do you have an appetite for building that way if it's you know a 19 year old player through the draft or does it need to be I don't have much of an appetite for building and you know guys two and three years away from really going after it you know what I'm saying and the general manager Joe Cronin ratified what he said it was very clear they're on the same page and then lottery night in mid-May about a month later the Blazers moved from number five to number three in the lottery that doesn't sound like much and I'll give you that in many years there isn't really much of a difference but in 2023 the difference between the third pick and the fifth pick was wide having an opportunity to draft Scoot Henderson which many scouts believe is a player who could have been the number one pick in in many years, including potentially next year's draft. It wasn't so simple as now trading that pick for the Blazers. Right. That the return that they could have gotten for trading that pick didn't equal what Scoot Henderson could bring to them over the long term. So they didn't trade it. They got many calls, from what I understand, and they made the decision that they were not going to do it. And they articulated to Dame Lillard that they were not going to do it. Dame did not find out on draft night when they made this in the announcement that they were taking Scoot. He knew some days in advance from what I've been told. And they also did not trade their number 23 pick for any, even like a, a bench help. They used it on another young player. And so Joe Cronin, the same man who uh, in April said that he was with Dame Lillard and they were going to, you know, make trades for veterans came out after the draft and said that they had no intention of trading Dame and that he hoped that Dame would come and be willing to play with Scoot Henderson. And so now we wait. Circumstances overtook the plan. That's what they're trying to sell. Now the NBA waits. Whether Dame remains pragmatic or whether Dame finally, after all this time, makes the move and asks for a trade and, and sets off a star chase like we haven't seen in a while. If he doesn't want to go to Miami, they're doing a pretty good job of convincing us otherwise, though, right? There's a lot of smoke out there. You know, um, if you're on social media, there's no shortage of dots that you can connect that indicate that Dame is interested in Miami. You know, in Miami's case, considering what Bradley Beal was traded for, Miami could have beaten that offer. Miami had tradable first-round picks. Miami had some better young players. The fact that they, at the end of the day, didn't even really try is an indication that they were saving it for Dame Lillard. So we'll see, but I do not think it is a one-team race by any stretch of the imagination. I think there could be other teams for sure in the bidding. Ryan, you mentioned Kyrie Irving. Beginning of last season, he was still in Brooklyn, suspended, traded to Dallas after that uh, failed super team experiment in Brooklyn. In Dallas, Kyrie couldn't carry the Mavericks to the playoffs. In fact, it was the first time they haven't been in the playoffs with Luka Doncic. So now that he's a free agent, is he is he going to stick around in Dallas? Is his future in Texas? Yeah, so I think when it comes to Kyrie, it's very important to to look at uh, actions over words because Kyrie has said many words over the years and his actions have always been more revealing. This last season, Kyrie was on a team in Brooklyn that was playing very good basketball. Kevin Durant went down 
at midseason with an injury, and he played very well in that time. The Nets weren't one of the favorites in the Eastern Conference, but they were certainly a dangerous team. And he elected to ask for a trade at that time because he was not happy with the contract offer that the Nets were giving him. And so I highly doubt that now, after blowing that team up six months later, that he is now less concerned about the amount of money in the years. Mm. And that puts the Dallas Mavericks in the strongest position. There's other opportunities out there for a trade, but for him to get his money like he has demonstrated that is important to him, the Mavericks would have to cooperate in a sign and trade. And while you never say never there, the Mavericks want to keep him. They're not incentivized to do it. So the signs point to Kyrie coming to an accommodation with the Mavericks. The amount of years that they give him, the money is not really that much of a surprise. If they give him a max salary, Jeremy, that would be appropriate. He is a a max salary player. The question is, how many years will they give him? Speaking of Brooklyn and speaking of former Nets, James Harden, uh, he might be heading for a reunion with the Rockets, but now there are also suggestions that he's interested in remaining in Philadelphia with their new coach, Nick Nurse. Uh, Reading the uh, James Harden tea leaves, what do you see? Yeah, I think there was a time this year where a lot of people in the league believed that Harden was going to leave the Sixers to go back to Houston where he had his best years and won an MVP award. The Rockets have a very young team and almost nobody under contract and certainly nobody that makes more than, I think they've only got one player earning more than $10 million. And so they have in the neighborhood of 60 to $65 million in salary cap space and getting a player like James Harden could instantaneously get them into playoff conversation. The thing about it is, is, you know, James Harden's, um, you know, arc when his career is not the same timeline that their young players are on. And they just had two more Mm. uh, high draft picks. So they're bringing in two more, you know, young players to it. What's already a very young team. And one of the stumbling blocks for James Harden returning to Philadelphia was Doc Rivers. Doc and James did not have the greatest relationship. It was a thinly veiled secret and um, it manifested itself in various ways near the end of the season. I'm not sure that Nick Nurse has any sort of special magic uh, pill that's going to make everything work between James Harden and the rest of his teammates. But using game theory, having a threat like Houston out there is very useful to James Harden as he tries mm. to hammer out an agreement. But if I had to take um, an educated guess as to what will happen by the end of the week, my belief is that James Harden will be back to the 76ers on something less than a full max contract, which is less than four years guaranteed. So Brian, as you know, this is the portion of the show where we like to channel a little Donald Rumsfeld. You've meticulously gone over all of the known unknowns What are the unknown to all but you unknowns that could be big stories coming up? Well, the team that we, I would recommend watching this week is the Sacramento Kings. Sacramento Kings, as you know, just had the greatest year in two decades, reaching the playoffs for the first time. I believe it was 17 years or something like that. And they are an ascendant team. De'Aaron Fox, uh, their young guard, is one of the fastest rising talents in the league. 
They have um, Mike Brown, who was named unanimous coach of the year. And on draft night, Jeremy, they did something very interesting that may have slipped under the radar. They made a trade late in the first round with the Dallas Mavericks. Uh, They traded Rashawn Holmes, who was a big man who really hadn't played much last year. And they attached their draft pick, which I believe was the 24th pick in the draft, and sent it to Dallas. Now, we're in an era where if you're a good team, you really want those late-round draft picks. They're cheap labor for several years, especially as your team is getting more expensive. Case in point, uh, Christian Brown from the uh, Denver Nuggets, 21st pick in the 2022 draft, was playing huge minutes for them in the finals. So why would the Kings trade away a pick at 24 and not only trade away the pick, but also attach a player to it. Mm. That's two guys on their roster that they could use, you know, in some various ways. Talk about game theory. I'm so confused, but I know you know exactly what's going on. Well, they have opened now $36 million in salary cap space. Mm. Of the teams that are contenders... They are the only team that is coming into this with appreciable cap space. And they have a bazooka now. And the question is, what are they going to do it for? Why did they do it? Who did they open the space for? The name that leaps to everybody's, or at least the educated folks in the league's lips, is Draymond Green. Mm. was opted out of his contract with the Warriors. And one of the closest people in the NBA to Draymond Green is Mike Brown, a former assistant coach who won three rings with the Warriors, who went up and is now being a very successful coach in Sacramento. And um, they have the money to make Draymond an incredible offer. If that doesn't happen, another player who could be on their radar is Brooke Lopez who was the center of the, uh, the Milwaukee Bucks, or, Jeremy, there may be somebody that we don't know yet that they're targeting. Now, to get that $36 million, they would have to say goodbye to Harrison Barnes, who was one of their valued veterans. Um, and they very easily could just um, re-sign him and use some of the money to help renegotiate Demodis Sabonis's um, contract. And that wouldn't be the worst usage in the world of trading away a draft pick to to get those two locked down. But by doing it, they've opened doors for themselves and given people Mm -hmm. reasons to return their phone calls once free agency opens. So I would say one of the biggest teams of intrigue because of where they're at in the league and because of the sly move here, Sacramento Kings and their $36 million in cap space. Sacramento. Never been to Sacramento. Maybe one day I'll get there. Brian Windhorst, we would call you the Oracle of Omaha, but that's already <laughs> taken. So you, you are the Oracle of the offseason, the Nostradamus of Nebraska. Thank you so much, sir. Thank you, Jeremy. I'm Jeremy Schapp. This has been ESPN Daily. We'll talk to you tomorrow.